tuning into the Short Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. And I am Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. This is a show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching, and what's been going on at the library. Library news. So this week, there's not much to report. Uh, the only thing really to report is that Trollwood, as of last week, passed the mandate requiring masks to be worn in all public spaces. So when you are at the library, we do ask that you wear a mask unless you meet one of the exceptions that the ordinance has declared and we have those posted all around the library uh, we ask that even if you're separate from other people you still put the mask on and wear it accurately so you know cover your nose and your mouth don't just have it hanging on your chin um but yeah other than that everything at the library is pretty much the same um, i thought you had some interesting programs going on involving making totes and growing things you're right. We've actually been doing kits for a variety of ages. So on Wednesdays, Miss Susan is doing the art cart kit still, like she has been doing. So you can either pick that up in person or via curbside pickup. On Thursdays, I've been doing a teen kit for uh, kids in 7th through 12th grade. Mm -hmm. And this week's was a tote bag, and last week's was a friendship bracelet. Um, and next week's will be a plushie toy that you can make. And so those you can also pick up through curbside or um, in person. And they are all, you know, in limited supply. So the sooner you come in to pick them up, the better. Uh, Miss Heidi has also been doing some family fun night kits. Uh, I believe that's on two, uh, it's been a few Tuesdays. And yeah, and then I've also been doing some Tinker Lab kits. So those uh, keep an eye out because they're not every week. They're like every two weeks. Um, so the first one I did was a gardening kit. The next one that's coming up is going to be homemade batteries. And then the last one is going to be uh, coding stuff to do at home. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on the calendar for those. And on our social media pages, every time that, that, like every day that they happen, we tend to post on it. So like if for the teen stuff, I tend to post that stuff to the teen Instagram account. Uh, but other this other stuff also gets posted to the, the Facebook account and the Twitter. So. And what was the, write, the writing workshop? Oh, that was also one of the teen kits. It was a uh, I, I changed NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, to SunoWriMo, <laughs> being Summer Novel Writing Months. <laughs> um, and I, I've been putting a bunch of writing prompts up on our Tumblr page for the teens. Um, so if you're into creative writing, check out our Tumblr page, shorelibteens.tumblr.com, for some writing prompts. And uh, you know can get working on your novel or your poetry or your short stories or whatever it is that inspires you. And you don't even have to be a teen, you know, if you're just into creative writing, check out the writing prompts. Yeah, a reason to, to create. Yeah, exactly. Uh, from the stacks. So what have you been reading, Nick? Um, so last time we recorded, I was reading Inside the Terror Dome, uh, and I am still reading Inside the Terror Dome. Yeah. Uh, it's... I'm I'm still still enjoying the book. I know I I talked about it at great lengths before, mm -hmm. um, so I'm not gonna get too much into it. But the one thing that I that I I am gonna say that I wish I had because when I reviewed it uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned you know I I had read up to a certain point and then I had read the last chapter just so that I could could cover it and feel good about it. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that uh, that I feel like I missed out on is that. Uh, the rest of the book, after the like key records that I came up on, there was a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. But I also feel like the the writer really takes a little too much time on what the critics said, and so a lot of the chapters are a lot of like kind of like tearing them down because it's just like a play by play of this is this is the decline of their career, and then this is the decline of their career, and this is the decline of the career. Like he hits the hot the hot points, but at the same time, you know. It does. It definitely doesn't feel like it's written by a fan, even though it's written by a fan. Yeah, I could see, like, especially being a fan, that as you read that in that way, that you 
you know, it'd be harder to keep pushing yourself to read it because you're just like, okay, well, I disagree with these people. And like, sometimes it's good to, to know, you know, criticism of things, but sometimes you're, you know, it's not necessarily what you're looking for. Yeah. And so I could see how that would be hard to push through to, to finish the book. Yeah. And there, there were, there. I, it's not to say that there aren't interesting bits because there's lots of really interesting bits. And, and I'm going to share one last interesting bit. And that's that uh, I didn't realize that in the early 2000s, Chuck D and the members of Public Enemy were very... Uh, very into the idea of co collaboration mm -hmm. um, and that uh, with the advent of how the internet was uh, evolving they really liked the idea of like doing these collaborative projects with their fans and I know other bands like Weezer and, and what have you did stuff like that too mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that early on they put a number of their songs up acapella okay. and then did a contest in order to have people do remixes of those songs with their vocal tracks and oh. I thought that was a really cool thing. Oh, that is interesting. So what are you reading? Uh, so I actually just finished reading a book that a coworker recommended, um, and the book was called Eat That Frog, 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time by Brian Tracy. Um, so it's a book about, you know, time management and, you know, like a lot of folks since I've come back to work after all the, you know, being on, on leave, or not really leave, um, after working from home because of coronavirus, it's hard to get back into the daily grind of the office and, and to remind yourself how to set priorities and break tasks up. At home, I was working in chunks of time and then having like chunks of time to myself and then working again in another chunk of time. Whereas, you know, at work, you're there for eight or nine hours and you got to get stuff done in that allotted time. And mm -hmm. so it's weird how you can go from being somebody who had a good way of being organized and doing things before all of this happened. And then somehow it all just kind of fades away in your brain and you're like, how did I used to do this? And so this book had a lot of great ideas on ways to make the most of your time and to really focus at work and to be your, your best self at work. And I, a lot of them are things that you probably would already know and that I already felt that I knew, but sometimes it's just good to, to hear ideas again in order to remind ourselves of like, oh yeah, if I plan out my day in advance and don't check my email right away like I might get more done because sometimes once you get stuck into email you know you're you're worried about responding to emails and this and that and so before you know it you've spent an hour and a half doing emails and then you don't get the other things that you were supposed to get done done yeah. um, and you know and there's been a lot of a lot of projects that got put aside because of, of us being shut down because of coronavirus and now I feel like you know there's more projects on my plate um, and I need to find ways to get organized again and to manage my time so that I can get everything that I want to get accomplished, accomplished. For sure. So yeah, and it's a, uh, I got, I listened to it on Libby. It was an audiobook, but it's also available as a book at the library. And uh, each chapter has exercises at the end that you can complete um, that were very helpful, you know, like things like on goal setting and on how to track your progress on things and um, on how to balance, you know, your work and your life and it was a really quick listen. It was only like, I think the audiobook was only two hours long, which is fairly short for an audiobook. The book itself is like 20 chapters long, but they're all, all concise. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend it if you two are going back to the daily grind at the office and are like, how did I do this before? <laughs> um, and just need a reminder of, oh yeah, this is what structured eight-hour days look like as opposed to my work-from-home life. Very good. And one of the one of the things that also, not something that I've been been reading, but something I've been listening to, I actually uh, inspired by listening to Public Enemy, 
Um, now I'm doing a deep dive into Rage Against the Machine. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I know we were in the car earlier and you were listening to them. So, so yeah, Ex- expect me to talk about, about that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Some of their albums. Yes. Cool. So, um, so I wanted to do something different this week, uh, and so I pitched it to Lisa. I wanted to do something, uh, we'll call it the library and me. <laughs> I wanted to talk about what really kind of... Lisa has been listening to podcasts about about libraries and librarianship. And one of the questions that uh, they ask at the beginning of each of uh, this one particular podcast was, you know, how did you find library science? But I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, what what drew you to libraries? What are the, what are the, what was the, the memories that you have of libraries that, that made that something that you connected with? Yeah, before I start, um, the podcast that I was listening to is actually called Lib Voices. So if you're into podcasts and... Uh, especially podcasts about, you know, librarians of color, which is what the podcast kind of revolves around. Um, You should check it out. But yeah, I guess in terms of my upbringing, libraries were always, were always there. You know, I don't remember a time when, well, that's not right. I remember a time when I didn't go to the library and that was because I didn't live in this country. But but that other than that, um, you know, as a kid, my mom always took us to the library. My family didn't ever have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so my parents, you know, had some books at home, but the library is where we went to get books. My mom uh, is a preschool or was a preschool teacher. She, she's retired now and she taught preschool and kindergarten and first grade for a while. And so, you know, she knew the value and the importance of reading to your children and of instilling a love of, of literature in them at an early age and of, you know, letting them pick their own books and, and follow their their passions in terms of what they wanted to read. And so, yeah, I remember, you know, going and getting picture books when we were little. I don't really remember going to a lot of programs. I think she said that she took us to story time when we were little, but I don't remember that at all. Mm. I mostly remember story time from like preschool and not the library. But the thing that I remember the most is just the books, you know? So I remember loving to read and loving to be read to as a kid. Like I was one of those kids who my mom would read stories to us every night before bed. And um, as my sister got older, because my sister's older than I am, as she got older and she started reading, my sister would read to me before we would go to bed. And so my sister would read to me, and when my sister read to me, I thought it was super cool because my mom would read to me books that were like geared toward my age or whatever. Mm -hmm. And my sister would read to me, and my sister at the time was probably like in third or fourth grade, and she was really into Sweet Valley High. (laughs) And this is like a very dramatic series for those who don't know about like two teenage sisters who are navigating high school. And I was just like, oh, drama. (laughs) I was, what if she was eight, I was like five or six, you know? And so like, I, I loved when my sister read to me. I loved when my mom read to me, because my mom read a lot of like Roald Dahl and a lot of, you know, she would let us pick out the books that sounded interesting. And then she would pick out books herself because, you know, as a teacher, she knew stuff that other teachers had recommended to her. And so um, that was that was a big part of my childhood. And then I think, you know, another thing that I really loved about libraries is once I became an adolescent, like uh, libraries were a place where, you know, a lot of adolescents, I don't think, feel welcome. Um, especially back then, because there were no like teen areas and libraries. And mm. in, in my hometown library, there wasn't a young adult area. It was, you know, there was the adult area. There was like, I think a shelf that was supposed to be for high schoolers, but like it didn't really have much of anything. And like I said, my mom always encouraged us to, to follow our own interests and our own passions and, and to read whatever we wanted to read. She was never somebody who was like, you have to read at your level or you have to, 
you you should you know pick up the books that look interesting to you and if you find that it's too much for you or you don't want to read it you can always you don't have to finish it you can always put it back and so that's how as like a sixth seventh grader i ended up in the adult area mm. and because our, our library didn't have a lot of teen books i ended up reading I got really into Stephen King for a while. I got really into Anne Rice and the vampire books. Um, I got really into science fiction and fantasy, so I started reading a lot of like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And um, because I remember as a small child watching the PBS or BBC uh, The Hobbit movie, yeah. the the cartoon one from like the the seventies or eighties. And I remember thinking, like, this looks awesome. And then when I realized it was a book, I was like, I want to read this book. And, mm-hmm. and so I remember checking it out of the library multiple times because our library owned, like, uh, the the Lord of the Rings in, like, a one-volume set. And so it was, like, this super thick book. And mm-hmm. I couldn't finish it in one, one, like, checkout period. And so I had to keep returning it and checking it back out. Um, and so... The library was, like, the place where I went to find things to kind of escape the grossness of being a teenager (laughs) you know as a teenager i wasn't like somebody who who um was super outgoing or somebody who had a lot of stuff that i really liked about being a teenager you know i wasn't my my teenage experience wasn't like some teenage movie my teenage experience was more like go to school go to work you know um go home do homework talk to my friends on the phone sometimes uh you know this was mostly pre-internet Late high schools, we we finally had internet in our house, and it was like Earthlink, and it took forever to dial up, and you couldn't be on the phone and you know have Earthlink going at the same time, so uh, internet time was limited. Um, and I and I watched a lot of TV, and I watched a lot of movies, and a lot of the movies that we watched came from the library too, because again, like I said, my family didn't have a lot of money, and so um, the library was where we got all of our entertainment. So all the music, like I got really into music when I was a, a kid, and um, all of it was stuff that I checked out of the library. And I mm-hmm. used to, I had my CD player that had like the two tape deck below. And so I would record CDs from the library. I mean, I know this is not like kosher, <laughs> but, <laughs> but as a kid, I did not know that like, it wasn't okay to copyright things and or it wasn't okay to copy things, you know, cause copyright mm-hmm. laws. So I would like go to the library and, and record my favorite songs off of my CDs that I would check out. And then I would get into like the artist further and I would, you know, check out more of their stuff. And then as I got older and got a job and had money, then I started like buying stuff by these mm-hmm. artists that I had, I had developed a liking for from, you know, checking their stuff out at the library. So yeah, the library has always just been a part of my life other than, like I said, um, for a brief period when I was a child, we, we lived in Mexico and there was no public library in our yeah. town. Like there, there was a library, but it was like a closed stacks, place with government documents there was no like reading and law books you know lo, no reading material for children or, or teens mm. or or no like light fluffy reading material is all just like serious documents and law stuff so yeah. um so yeah so from like first through fourth grade in mexico we had books that we had brought with us from the united states and my parents had bought some books in mexico as well and then i had the books from like school and that's what i read and i remember you know when we came back from mexico going to the library and just being like this treasure trove of stories Mm -hmm. and I could check out whatever I wanted because there were no limits in terms of like what my parents allowed us to read and so I you know it just it opened up so many doors and so many ideas and so many different ways of viewing the world and it just libraries public libraries shaped me as a person Mm -hmm. and for some reason I just pictured 
you wearing an extra large like boys tee that says no limits gigantic on the <laughs> on the front of it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, I for me, libraries were were very important to me from about age seven mm-hmm. to about age eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. That those tween those tween years. So I'm gonna take you all on a journey. Uh, to a time before there were CDs, to a time before there were were, were DVDs. Uh, libraries didn't have that. They had vinyl records. Yeah. Um, Yo, and... when I was checking out movie, there were VHS tapes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the uh, I I I never checked out. I should say I checked out vinyl records once or twice because uh-huh. I, I you know as a young lad I did listen listen to vinyl because <laughs> my my. My dad owned a record store. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I did try checking out, vi- but they always were, had scratches and the needle was jumping all over. The- yeah, was, that's, was- that's the part of getting stuff from the library. <laughs> I mean, I had plenty of CDs that were like so scratched up that it was like so sad because you'd go to listen to it and it yeah. wouldn't play or, you know, same now, you know, DVDs, you, you check them out and sometimes they don't play because some people take care of things well and some people don't. And yeah. that's just, you know, part of it being a shared public yeah. thing. Well. But- We'll we'll move on from from the sad aspect, um, but anyway. So, so I grew up in Buffalo, New York, or the suburbs of Buffalo, New York, Amherst. And there was uh, within our school district there was a, a a group of libraries, and one of them was called the Greenhaven Library. And we'd go to the Greenhaven Library, and I remember my mom would check out uh, check out Harlequin novels and and things like that, mm-hmm. romance. And uh, I would you know wander around, and and I wasn't much of a reader. Um, when I first started going to the library. So I, I would, my mom would take us and I would get out like Family Circus. Uh-huh. Um, I would get out Heathcliff. Yep. I remember uh, getting out Foxtrot and Garfield and yeah. all the comics. Yep. Yeah. So, so you know, if there was a, a Mad Magazine book of all spy versus spy cartoons, I was reading that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but uh, something happened and I had a new interest in libraries because... In third grade, that Christmas time, uh, my cousin got the Dungeons and Dragons basic set, mm-hmm. and here I am. I'm, you know, seven or eight years old. I think eight years old. I would have been eight years old. I'm eight years old, and he says, "Hey, we're gonna play a game." And he sits down, and we start playing something called the Keep on the Borderlands, a module for for Dunge- Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and I was just my little brain exploded. Mm-hmm. And at first, like, I was like, I need to borrow this. And my, my cousins were like, oh, that's fine. But my, my aunt was like, no, they have to have it, you know, you know, they just got this for, for Christmas. They need to have it for, the, you know, the, at least the next two weeks. And so as soon as two weeks was up, I was like, all right, I'm ready to borrow it. And uh, uh, Children. <laughs> yes. And so, so it was, it was the, the type of thing, you know, uh, you know me, me calling uh, and being like, oh, yeah, I'm ready, ready to borrow. And like, you know, they probably had forgotten and I was just like so amped. Uh-huh. And so um, I ended up borrowing the D&D basic set and reading the Keep on the Borderlands and then forcing my mom to sit down. And while I handed her a bunch of characters that I had created and I started explaining the dungeon and the game and what have you and mercilessly killing all of my mom's characters and it was my mom still remembers it to this day but um my mom took something away from that she i think that she she saw that it was important 
And I had an enthusiasm that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. At least about... Reading? Yeah, books. and yeah. So she ended up uh, calling the Greenhaven Library to see if they had any D&D books. Mm-hmm. And they had the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, Monster Manual, and Deities and Demigods. And these were like the four core books to play Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. No longer even basic. Uh-huh. <laughs> advanced Dungeons and & Dragons. And here I'm eight years old. And for the next like six months, I would take out these books... And if there were no holds, I would, you know, retake them out. And if there were holds, then I would wait just anxiously for them to be available and just keep rereading these same four manuals over and over again. Uh-huh. There was even some awful book called uh, Fantasy Wargaming or something like that okay. um, that uh, is, like, regarded as, like, this this other, like, D&D-like game that was completely unplayable, but they had the book. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I would flip through it and and read the uh, read bits and pieces and look at the pictures, and it was just my way of being one step closer to this thing that I was, like, enamored with. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it was it was just, for, for a young me, it was super exciting because suddenly um, this, you know, place that I just, you know, was going to check out comics mm-hmm. um i realized that uh it had so much more mm-hmm. and that you know it held all sorts of secrets and exciting things you know the, this this well of knowledge mm-hmm. that i didn't realize it was before to me it was just a bunch of stuffy books with a stuffy place full of books where my mom would you know get out a book called hold me captive <laughs> <laughs> like fabio on the cover yeah <laughs> Um, so, uh, so yeah, but, uh, um, similar to when Lisa mentioned, you know, then going into like reading like Tolkien and things like that, I ended up, um, the next year in fourth grade, my teacher read, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And so then I was getting out all the Chronicles of Narnia books Mm -hmm. and, and though after, Taking out these these D and D books so many times, um, my mom ultimately ended up being like, "All right, we're going to Walden Books." <laughs> there's there's a name that most of you probably don't, remember. many of you probably don't know or remember, but some uh, probably do. <laughs> some you know, probably do. we're not that old. Like, <laughs> well, I, you make it sound like we're a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, so you know, but. I, I think it's it's very exciting. It's a very important thing to know that the library it it doesn't just have um, you know fiction or political nonfiction um, that it has things like D and D manuals mm-hmm. um, so that so that there are these these ways to um, help unlock your own creativity. Yeah, your own creativity, your your own interest, your own enthusiasm for learning. Yeah, do you have any any memories about like a way a librarian specifically affected you? Did you ever have any encounters with librarians? So that's I, I thought about this. I didn't expect this question to come, but I had thought about that, you know, when I was piecing together this in my brain. And one of the things that that I think is special about libraries now versus libraries then mm-hmm. is I can't think of a single time 
that a librarian walked up to me at the Greenhaven Library or the Clearfield Library mm -hmm. or even the Audubon Library, which was like the new, like fancy library that opened uh, opened when I was a teenager. I can't think of a single time that a librarian came up to me and like talked to me about what I was reading or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, it was, you know, the the... I hate to say it, the stuffy person behind the desk yeah, the that had the, the the stamper and would stamp the card and then stamp the other card and then hand you your book. Yeah. And so I didn't have any interactions with uh, with librarians. I never went to story time. Mm -hmm. um, it was libraries back then. They they were different. There, there was the the era of the shushing library. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's kind of how I remember it too. Like I remember, um, you know, public libraries at least. I don't remember having very great interactions with public libraries. And so like when I first became a librarian, I didn't I wasn't going to become a public librarian because I didn't have positive associations with public libraries. Um, and part of that was because again, like you said, you know, I had the encounters with the stereotypical like what you see in the movies, the lady who shushes you and who, you know, you ask her a question and she seems really annoyed. Mm. <laughs> and like and you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable going up to the librarians at my public library and asking them for help finding books because every time that I did, I felt like, you know, I was I was inconveniencing them somehow. Mm. Um, and so the library, the public library for me was a place of just me browsing and me exploring on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and rarely did I ask for help because when I did, I didn't have very positive experiences. On the other hand, though, I had great experiences with my school librarians. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, you know, like you mentioned your teacher reading to you in class. And I remember our teacher also read to us in class. But then we would also have library time every week. And our yep. librarian would also read to us when we were little. And then as we got older, you know, it was more like we'd do, play things like Oregon Trail for anybody who remembers that or, you know, do things like that. And so I, I have very great memories of my school librarians. And, you know, the school librarians were great because they would recommend like series that like if you were like yeah I just you know our teacher just read the Nile and the Witch in the Wardrobe what should I read next and they'd be like here check out this Lloyd Alexander book you know and so then we'd see you know I'd see if they had it at the school library and if they didn't have it at the school library then we'd go to the public library and I had like my whole little list of books that I had to go look for at the public library if they didn't have them at the school library. Lisa so. you were supposed to directly follow it with Prince Caspian. <laughs> Well, and, the, and then Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I read the whole series, but once I was done with the series, I was like, what's next? What's next? And so then I read the Lloyd Alexander. Mm. I can't remember what the name of that series is with like Owen and... and I just... Yeah. I, it's funny. I've never read that, that author, uh -huh. but I can picture the... Um, Skull-headed guy yes. riding riding uh, riding a, a horse and a flowing red cape. I can I can vividly yes, picture. I read that whole series, you know, and then I got into a bunch of other other stuff as well. But you know, it was my school librarian who mm. was the one who directed me in those ways, you know, and was like encouraging of like you should read this or you should read that. And so, um, it, you know, it's a little sad to me that that my public librarians weren't like that when I was growing up, and I, I'm glad that the librarianship seems to be changing as a field, and that more of us are going up to people and, and asking them, you know, what they want to read, and and trying to, you know, help people, especially like kids who are like, well, I don't know what I want to read next, because it's hard to, you know, so especially when you're a kid, like you don't know what's out there, and and so you know, we're t we're taught what questions to ask and and how to get information out of a person in order to find what it is that you like about reading and what you're looking for. And so, you know, I, uh, I'm glad that that's, that's more of a thing now because, yeah, like I said, I, I, you know, I have 
kids that come up to me at the library all the time and ask me what to read and I like I said I, I never would have thought to do that as a kid at the public library at least yeah. at the school library yes of course yeah. I would do it and then at the school library the school library is also great in high school because we didn't have a computer at home when I was in high school until like my senior year and so the school library is where I did all my homework because the school library had printing capabilities they had the internet they had you know mm. the computers and by the time I was in high school like all of my teachers were requiring us to type our papers and um, and they wanted you to do it on a word processor, not on a typewriter. And so I would, you know, go on my lunch period or after school and I would type up all my papers in the school library. And also when I had free periods, um, the hallways at my school were always super loud and you could hang out in the hallway like around the, the auditorium in my high school uh, during a free period. But I... I liked to read a lot, and mm. so I would go off to the library, and if I didn't have homework, I would go and read. Yeah, um, yeah. It, since since Lisa shared a story of her engaging in bad behavior by <laughs> by uh, taping uh, taping uh, records from the or CDs from the uh, <laughs> the, from the library, library. Um, I was the kid that in high school I would skip my classes and then go to the library and read about the things that I actually wanted to know about. Mm. So yeah. Um, yeah, school school libraries school libraries um, similar in elementary school we would we would stay after school in order to play uh, Oregon Trail or Cranston Manor mm-hmm. um, because the library had the Apple IIe yes the Apple IIe <laughs> with the giant floppy disks giant floppy disks <laughs> and the green screen and the the librarian had to load it up for us yeah um, but uh, it was it was the you know place that we could do things like that and it was exciting um, but. You know, thinking about the Shushing libraries, before before we wrap this up, I, I just had this thought, and I, I have to wonder, you know, this may sound ridiculous from a, an a, to an actual librarian, but there's part of me that wonders, like, the, the trend towards loud libraries and a, a more in, engaging experience. I wonder how many former boarders uh, employees ended up going into library sciences and <laughs> made this made this transition yeah no i i can tell you that a lot of a lot of people have I, i'm a former barnes and noble employee um and i know that a lot of people at conferences that i've been to have you know outed themselves as being former board borders employees or walden books or barnes and noble and you know and all of us basically were like hey we love what we do but we want to get paid more to do this and also we don't want to have to like sell people things yeah and so librarianship is, is perfect for that because you're not selling anything you're, you know, trying to get people to read more books, but there's no, there's no money interaction. You're, you're upselling knowledge, you're but up, without yes, money. But without money involved, <laughs> exactly. It's pretty cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that's why I went to library school because I was like, I was working at Barnes and Noble, and I was like, I make seven dollars an hour here, and I like this, but I don't like the having to upsell everything and having to like make people buy memberships and having to do this and having to do that and and you know meal, meeting like sales quotas and all this stuff I was like I, I don't like that aspect of it mm-hmm. um, and I was like you know one of my my professors encouraged me to go to library school to pursue archiving and I had been a history major so I was like yeah archiving sounds cool and then once I got to library school um, the library school that I went to their like whole archiving department kind of quit because there was some sort of big drama that happened <laughs> and so uh, drama ah uh, yes um so the whole archiving department quit and so there was only like one professor left that taught the uh, preservation and conservation class so i took that class and i started taking some public library classes and discovered that the public library was not 
what I remembered the librarians there being like, you know, I was, t I like took like youth services classes where we learned how to do story time and we learned, you know, how to like, like do readers advisory, which is where we recommend books to people. And, and we learned how to engage with people more and, you know, and the library itself started being talked about more as not just a repository of books, but a community center where everybody can come together and, you know, librarians are there to provide resources, whether they be digital or physical, um, to help you accomplish your goals, whether those be the goal of entertainment or the goal of education. Very good. So, yeah, I, I think that was, that was a, uh, an, an interesting uh, uh, journey. So. Yeah. so, yeah, if you have any library memories that you'd like to share with us, whether they be things that happened in the past or things that, you know, have happened more recently, we always welcome your emails. We love hearing from our listeners. You can email them to us at shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. And Nick has a comment that one of our listeners sent us, uh, I believe it was Andy. Yep. So, so Andy uh, wrote and he said, uh, it was around 1996-97 when I picked up Tricky's debut album, Max and K. Uh, track 3, Black Steel, remains one of my all-time favorite songs, a forceful intensity which never fails to resonate. It was today I discovered that Black Steel is a reworking of Black Steel in the uh, Hour of Chaos from Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation to, of Millions to Hold Us Back. So 24 years to connect two albums separated by only seven years. There's a thing, eh? And there's a couple of, of additional notes. Certainly there are somewhere within two years of its release. Um, I'd been a fan of his work since uh, Massive Attack's Blue Lines, another standout album. Inspiration to queue up It Takes a Nation of Millions goes to the always informative The Shorewood Stacks podcast, episode number 12. Awesome. Yeah, we love hearing from you. So if you've been enjoying what you've been hearing, you can engage with us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook and we are also on Twitter. And uh, just, you know, post on the library page. Otherwise, like I said, you can email us at shortestacks at gmail.com. And, may and maybe at some point I should do a deep dive on Tricky because Tricky's great. Yeah. All right. So as always, thank you for listening to the Shortestacks. We hope you have enjoyed the show. You can find us on Spotify, Podbean, or iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening and be well. The Shorewood Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron for the Shorewood Public Library. Music on this episode is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found at incompetech.com.